Turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. I'd like to bring a message this morning titled, Deborah, a Woman of Strength. A few Sundays ago, we started on a, a series on the book of Judges. I had a title, uh, Introduction to Judges. Now this morning, we're going to look at the first, uh, the first well-known judge, Deborah. We're going to also look at some of the others the, uh, the lesser-known judges ahead of Deborah, just a little bit, but in just an introduction, we last time we uh, we the key verse in the Bible says that in, there's, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and we saw an outline in the book there with the chapters uh, one to two of apathy, and uh, chapters three to sixteen apostasy. And that's when the, in the era of where the kings acted. And then we have the last chapters of the anarchy. Uh, and the, the corresponding would be the conquest when the children of Israel came into the land. Uh, they took over the land. And then the chapters 3 to 16, the compromise. And then what that led to is the chaos. And we know with our key verse that when everyone does that which is right in their own eyes, it does lead to chaos. It's... Um, so the, uh, the first, we see uh, cycles that come, that are repeated through the, the uh, book of Judges that happens different over again. And uh, we see this, that it starts out with disobedience and then the uh, children of Israel turn away from God. They marry uh, the heathen like they weren't supposed to. And, uh, and then it leads to the oppression. Uh, the sin and oppression go together. And then we see the chastening of God bringing uh, a, an outside nation in to, to chase, to oppress them. And uh, then we see the crying out, the repentance, crying out to the Lord, and then God raising up a judge to deliver them. And then the blessings that follow after the, they're delivered from their oppressor. And this is a cycle that repeats itself, and we can see that. Uh, very well in chapter 3, the, uh, the first judge is in uh, chapter 3 and verse 7, actually is the, the first judge is Othniel. And this, uh, this is a, these five verses here give a classic uh, example of this cycle. And maybe we'll just read it and, uh, and you, we can see this. And it starts out in verse 7, says, And the children of Israel did that did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot their, their God, the Lord their God and served Balaam in the groves. There we see the disobedience, this, the, the disobedience. And then we have the, uh, the second, the eight, verse 8 there. It says, therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cush, and the king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served him eight years. And there we see the, the oppression, the, their disobedience led to the, depression, the oppression, and then it brought the chastening hand of the Lord. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and, uh, for forsaking him. And then it says in verse 9, we see the next uh, step in the, the cycle, they're crying out, their repentance part. And when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother. So that would be, um, uh, that would, that would be the, a nephew of uh, Caleb. <clears throat> so he was raised up as a 
judge here. And then in verse uh, 10, we see the deliverance. God came and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and went to war and the Lord delivered this king in, into his hand and, uh, and, and the hand prevailed against him. So there we see the deliverance. They're crying out, brought up God responds to that and he bring, raises up Othniel and he delivered them out of their hand. And then we see the blessing that follows after they have been delivered and the land had rest 40 years. So there, there we can see the blessing that was a result of their, uh, of their uh, the deliverer that God brought. So there's a classic example of the, the cycles that happened through all the judges. And then just a little bit on Ehud before we get into um, uh, Deborah. Ehud is a second judge there in verse 12. And I don't think we're going to read it. I'm just going to just uh, talk about it a little bit. Uh, the second judge there. It says that he was a, uh, from Benjamin, uh, a Benjamite. And it starts out again, verse, by, by doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord strengthened the uh, Eglon, the king of Moab. So we see this, 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 area, this, this judge here was from a different area. So some of these judges overlapped. And they were from different areas. So, but we see they, uh, they served this king of Moab for 18 years. And then they cry out and God raised up Ehud. Now Ehud was a left-handed man. The Bible talks about the uh, Benjamites being left-handed. There's two verses that talk about how they were, uh, had an advantage being a left-handed. They were, they were armed with bows. They could use they could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamite. And we know they were warriors. They were known for that. And in Judges 20, another verse says, Among this people there was 700 chosen men left-handed, and everyone could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss. So they were known for their accuracy. And uh, so this king brought this... Uh, this uh, king was, they were under tribute there, and the Ehud brought the present, it says in verse 17, and he's left-handed. Another advantage that he had is he could hide a dagger in under his opposite side that where they would look, and he, they had a dagger. He goes into the king with this present, and it was probably the tax money, and he, uh, and he gives this money to them, to him, and he probably brought the king at ease, and then the king says, uh, then he tells the king that he has a secret message from the Lord and he orders everybody else out and he gets up to hear this message and he, Ehud comes forth with his dagger, he gets his dagger out just uh, could, and, and he kills him there. And it says he locks the door behind him and he escapes and then he gathers other men and they slaughter all the Moabites. It says 10,000 men said none of them escaped, none of them escaped. So there's a very gruesome story here, and it goes into detail, but the end there that says they rested for 80 years. There we see another cycle. And then in verse, uh, in, in verse 31, we have the third judge was Shagmar, and all it says about him was one verse. So we see the lesser-known judges there, but he was, he, it says of, that he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat. So God raised up um, judges uh, when they cried out to him. So now we want to get to Deborah. Deborah was the fourth judge here. 
and she is well known in the Bible, a very common Bible story, and we'd like to, to look at this and go through chapter 4, and uh, we are going to look at chapter 5 a little bit, and that is on the song. The song is where she's praising the Lord for what happened on their behalf. So she was a, a woman called, uh, we know the king of Jabin was the... Uh, was oppressing them. God sold them into the king of Jabin, and God called Deborah, a woman, probably the only woman judge, and I believe it shows some of the, uh, the decline, the spiritual decline at the time, calling a woman, especially here of the men, they weren't there, calling a woman. So the Bible doesn't condemn her for, for this, uh, being in this role, uh, but neither do we build a doctrine on it that, uh, that for a woman's role in the church, I believe this was an exception, not the rule. We know the Bible has New Testament, uh, does speaks directly to uh, men, God wanting men to lead and, uh, and the women's role in the church, what they can and can't do. So God also uses Barak. Barak is another, uh, uh, the commander in, in general, in, or general, and he uh, works, he's, he was alongside of, of Deborah, and we will see that he's another character in her story. And also we see Jael is another, uh, not an Israelite, she is a Kenite. She is of the f- relation of Moses, the, the father-in-law of uh, Moses. So that's a, uh, another, she'll come into the story. And then we have Sisera is the captain for Jabin. Jabin is the, the, the king of of uh, uh, Canaan, and uh, so we, those are the the stories here in our in our the characters in our story. Now we know the Canaanites were the ones that they were supposed to drive out. The last time we looked at it, you know, they they had their disobedience or their partial obedience. They didn't drive them out completely, and they uh, they intermarried like they weren't supposed to. They didn't. They didn't uh, throw down their groves like they were supposed to. And all this came back to be a snare, just like God said it would. And that's what, that's what happened. So the, uh, I think we'll read chapter 4 here at this time. We can, then we'll get into going through the verses. In chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when, when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazar, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in, in Haraseth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramoth and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abanan, out of Kadesh Napathal, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee three thousand men of the children of Napathi and the children of Zebulun. And I will, I will draw the, unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude. And I will deliver him into thy hand. And Barak said unto her, If thou go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. 
And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest for thou shall be for a time. Let me start over. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Napathy to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Moab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent up toward the plain of Zadain, which is by Kadesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abedin, was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of Aaron, and all the people that were with him from Harsh, Harsheth of the Gentiles unto the river of Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men after him. And the Lord disconfitted Sisera and all his chariots and all his, and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted off his chariot and fled away on his feet. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the hosts of, of, unto Harsheth of the Gentiles, and all the hosts of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit, Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of, Je of Jael, the, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in, fear not. And when he turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me a drink. Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. And he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and if it be, if any man doth come and inquire of thee, say, Is any man here? Thou shalt say, No. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent, took a hammer in her hand, and went softly unto him, and smote the nail into his temples, and fastened it into the ground. For he was fast asleep and weary, and so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him, and said unto him, Come, and I will show you the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin the king of Canaan, and they had, and they had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. So here we see the, uh, it starts out, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. <clears throat> and we see the cycle continuing. Uh, what it really means doing evil they, it really means they were unfaithful to their covenant that they made with God, God made with them. They were followed other gods instead of Jehovah God. In verse 2, it says they sold them. That means that's the opposite of redeeming. You know, when God redeems, the whole Bible is about God's redemption. And here is God selling them over. And it's the opposite of, but it's actually love. 
It's actually God's love. It's God's way of drawing himself back to us, to himself, us back to him. It's, uh, he's, it's, getting, it's getting them to cry out to him. That's what, that's what happened. That's what they did. So in verse 3, it says they cried out to the Lord. Now, it doesn't say they cried out in repentance, but uh, there could have been a, an element of repentance there with their crying out. But I don't believe it was, you know, like, I don't think they were crying out and saying that they walked away from the Lord, they're sorry, and, and it, it, was, uh, it was not a cry of sorrow, but rather a cry for help, a cry for relief. Uh, and there's a huge difference between comfort, crying out for comfort, and crying out in repentance. But nevertheless, God has a soft spot and uh, in his heart when we cry out to him we do get his attention and we see that God responds in sincere crying out to him but why did they wait 20 years they were oppressed for 20 years why did they wait you know this long why didn't they cry out in year one um, likely things got worse and worse and and uh, but it took 20 years and they cry out to the Lord now, in verse 2, it says Jabin was the king of Canaan. Now, that Jabin was probably a dynasty name that uh, was repeated. Joshua was fighting a Jabin back in Joshua 11. So this is a, a name that repeats and like, like, like the pharaohs and so on. But it says that he mightily oppressed them. It doesn't go into a lot of detail what that oppression looked like. We get a little glimpse in the song that we're going to look at afterward, but how things were unsafe and they couldn't walk in the, the streets were empty. They had to walk in the back paths because it was unsafe. They stayed in their houses. But, and, and when we get to Gideon, we're going to see that we get a lot more description into the oppression that was there. But it doesn't tell us a lot about this mightily oppressed them. But it does say that he had, they had 900 Aaron chariots. Now this was something. Actually, history would believe that they had that they would have had more than that. But he, it says here that they had nine hundred chariots, and it says a great, mighty, a great a multitude of the army was of a great multitude. So it was large. Now they would have dominated the whole valley. I mean, this valley where this fight takes place in, this battle takes place is, is in the in the region of the Armageddon, where the the valley the the uh, Valley of Megiddo. So they, uh, we see that the Aaron chariots would have been very, they would have dominated the whole valley, but you know, they wouldn't have been able to go up the hills, not up the hills. Now, we do find in scripture that the, the Israelites were disadvantaged with Aaron making. It says that there was no smith found throughout the land of Israel for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, his coulter, his axe, and his mattock. So they had the disadvantage. Israel was the disadvantaged here in the metal and the iron making. And it's like they kept it a trade secret from them. They were, they were weakened by that. But they were, they were uh, disadvantaged in different ways. Uh, First of all, let me back up. First of all, they were uh, the, they were on foot compared to the to the uh, iron chariots. That's a disadvantage. They were outnumbered. Uh, could have been one to thirty or one to twenty. I mean, they were largely outnumbered. But God was on their side, is what we're going to see. And God's strength is made perfect 
in man's weakness. And that's, uh, so the weaker we are, the better we are, right? If you're looking at God is on our side and God was on their side. Now in Deborah, verse four, it says in Deborah, and we're gonna see she was a judge and a prophetess, a woman and a mother. Uh, now her, it says her husband was Lapidoth, and that's all we know of him. I don't know, probably, I would guess he was probably meek. He was probably quiet. He was obviously wasn't the leader, but the, Deborah means honeybee, honeybee. I don't know if that if she was busy as a bee or what, but she was. Uh, she had a lot of things going on. Now it tells us that she was a wife, a, a mother, but it doesn't tell us anything about her children. It's probably unimportant to the story. But judge means deliverer. Of all the judges, Deborah is the only one that really acted as a judge, as we think of a judge. You know, people come to her with their disputes, and probably it was because. She was a prophetess. Uh, she was hearing from God and giving good counsel, and she got a good reputation. Actually, she has a palm tree named after her, and we're going to be looking at that a little bit. But the, uh, well, let me back up, getting ahead. So a prophetess is one who speaks for the Lord, and we see there's other prophetess. There was Miriam in the Bible. You know, Deborah's not the only one. There's Huldah in the Kings. There's Anna in the New Testament. There's Philip's daughters prophesied, it says. So there's other, prophet, there's other prophetess that the Bible does talk about. Now, what does it mean to prophesy? What does it mean to prophesy? You know, uh, Randall read prophecy from Isaiah this morning. Isaiah prophesied about the future. You know, he, he fought. He he for, is foretelling. He told something that's coming. Well, also, prophesying can be forthtelling, just telling something that's already, saying something already that God said. So when you, when I'm, when I'm, when we're preaching God's word, when we're talking about something that God's already said, it's prophesying. It's prophesying. So it can be foretelling, and it can also be just be forthtelling, talking about God. <clears throat> Now, a Bible definition of prophecy is in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, says, He that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So, it's, uh, in these verses here, we see that to prophesy is to, it's edification, it's exhortation, it's comfort. So, what Deborah did when these people came to her, she was prophesying, she was edifying, she was exhorting them and comforting them. So she probably pointed them back to the scriptures that they were ignoring. You know, we know that she was, she was doing, she was edifying and building up what she was talking. So the reputation of this palm tree that Deborah had, well, you, the, the reputation she had is you would hear from God. People came to her because you could hear from God. She, had, uh, she was prophesying and she was edifying and exhorting. And you know, today I wondered if we think about the, all the, the think about the palm tree or the, all the internet blogs and the Facebook groups and all the people that are, are portraying all kinds of their ideas. Uh, you know, when you came to Deborah's tree, you know it wasn't the, the, the gossip tree or the fortune teller tree or it wasn't, it was about, you, you would hear from the Lord. And I was, as you, if we think about the, all the, the internet sites and the blogs and the Facebook posts, you know, what, 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 all, what, 
what do we hear when we go there? What do we hear? What are we looking for? You know, there's a lot of those that come out of uh, all kinds of different life reactions. And so, the, so what I'm trying to uh, say is let's, let's be careful what we, what we're, who, where we're going. You know, are we going to the palm tree of Deborah where we're going to hear from the word of the Lord? Where, where she says, hath not God said? That's what she tells Barak. Uh, Deborah, when they went to Deborah, she would encourage them to walk with the Lord. And any website group that encourages us in our walk with the Lord is good. But we have to be careful that we don't waste time with those that are endless genealogies and, and vain babblings. So she was serving God and she was serving the people. She was serving the people. And another thing we see is, is comfort. Deborah is uh, in this edification, exhortation, and comfort. She spoke comfort. She spoke comfort. And, and they, being oppressed for 20 years, they would have needed comfort. And she probably reminded them of the oppression in Egypt and how God delivered them and and. And so she was, she, was, uh, she was giving the people comfort. So as we think about the, uh, Deborah being a prophetess, I can say to the sisters, you know, be prophetess. Uh, prophesy. Talk about God. You can prophesy. Joel said in Joel 2.28 says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So, sisters, you can take advantage of every day to exhort and to edify and to comfort. Uh, you know, not in, in maybe in a church setting like this, being up here in the pulpit. But there is, the Bible says, there is neither Greek nor Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. God does have his, his order, but we are all one in Christ. We can all talk to others about the Lord like Deborah did. So then we have Barak. She sends, in verse 6, she sends for Barak, the army general, and says, I have a message from the Lord for you. And here she's prophesying. She's prophesying a word from the Lord. She says, take 10,000 men uh, from these tribes here and to go up to fight Sisera. And Sisera is Jabin's captain. And they go, they go up there. And then she, in verse 7, she promises the victory. She promises the victory. Uh, the Lord's going to draw Sisera out to this river Kishon, and uh, he says, and, and he's telling him that you're, they're, they're, the Lord will deliver them into, uh, into thine hand. And then in verse 8, he says, well, if you would go with me, if you go with me, then I will go. So here, Barak is demanding Deborah go along, and reveals maybe a little bit of his, Barak's character, or his concerned about the outcome or lack of confidence. I'm not sure if he was scared or, uh, you know, probably should have been. Well, if, 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 if uh, you know, I'm going. If God says go, I'll go. If God says we're going to win, I'll go. But whatever his, uh, it seems he wanted her to go along. He wanted her to go along. And she warns him, well, the honor's going to go to a woman. And, and woman going out to battle. You know, the men traditionally went out to battle, but I believe Barry did lose a blessing. He did lose a blessing. He didn't get the honor for the, uh, the victory like he could have. So I don't know about some commentary. Read, I read one which says he's a sissy, and he, this Barrick is, uh, uh, you know, he's lack of faith. And, but then, you know, we, we think about what it says in Hebrews 11. 
Hebrews 11 says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson. And of, uh, so here it mentions Barak. So why didn't it mention Deborah? Did Deborah have, didn't have faith here? Why, did, it, why does it mention uh, uh, Barak and not Deborah? So maybe it's the Jewish tradition, you know, naming the man, not the woman. But I don't, it, it, it doesn't mean that Deborah didn't have faith, but it's just mentioned, it, Barak is mentioned. So God doesn't put him down. So we want to be careful. I believe that, that Barak probably started out scared and fearful and ended up strong and ended up uh, that God could call him out as a, as on his faith. So then it says here that he calls together in verse 10, this group of 10,000 men, they go up into this mountain, and it mentions verse 11 about Heber, and that was, they were a friend of Jabin, and this is the father-in-law of the family of Moses' father-in-law, and that's where Jael is the, is the wife of Heber. So then in verse 14, it says, uh, up, for this is the day, and uh, she calls them to battle. And she, again, is announcing victory. And they all come down this mountain on foot against these 900 iron chariots. And it, it said all the odds were against them, but the Lord was on their side. And there it says how the Lord disconfitted Sisera. And that word is disconfitted. I believe uh, it sort of means like the whole thing fell apart. Or another version would say threw them into a panic. So I don't know what happened if they were confused and, and running, what, what all is involved, but whatever went wrong could have went wrong and all these 900 chariots against these footmen, you know, all God had to do is, is make the, the horses stumble on each other and make the wheels fall off. And it mentions uh, in chapter five about the, the, uh, a rainstorm. So they, they likely got in the mud and couldn't go. There it talks about in chapter 5 in the song, the earth, the, the heavens drop, the clouds also drop water. So it, it appears like there was a, a rainstorm. And so whatever happened, the Lord disconfitted them. And it says in verse 17 that Sisera ran on foot. Now, and why would he leave an iron chariot and run on foot? That sort of confirms the, the, uh, that they couldn't go with the, the, they were stuck in the mud. So... And it says in verse 21 that those that weren't killed by the Israelites were swept away in the river Kishon. That means also the, the river would have been high and, and, and swift. So, you know, think about it. They were, would have been worshiping Baal, and Baal is the storm god. The storm god's the one that controls the, the, the rain, and he left them down. Actually, Jehovah God was in charge. The Bible says that God fought against them. God fought the stars and their courses fought against Sisera. You know, in verse 22, it says, and there were horse, horse hoofs broken by the means of prancing. Uh, whatever that, whatever, it seems like the horses weren't cooperating. Something went haywire. So God fought against them. You know, God defeated Sisera, but not without the help of the army. God used Barak, God used Deborah to stir them up. And God gave them the victory just like he promised he would. But it wasn't without their part. The battle was two-part. They had to do their part. And, uh, and Israel had, God did his part and Israel had to do their part. Then Sisera runs. Think about this. God is delivering Israel from the oppression of 
Canaan. Now, Sisera runs away on foot, and, and, and in verse 17, so he comes across Jael. Jael is this one, the Heber's wife, and she invites him to come in. She invites him to come in, and they uh, are in the, typically a man wouldn't go in a woman's tent, but uh, if the man isn't there, but she didn't say it, but she implies she's going to protect him, and she covers him with a blanket, and then he, he asks for water, very thirsty, and she gives him milk. Now, milk would make you sleepy, right? But hardly quench the thirst. And if any, he says, if anyone comes, she asks him to lie, and uh, he doesn't answer her here. So while he slept, she took a tent peg and a hammer and killed him. You know, the nomadic women, you know, the tent, probably took care of the tent, so she probably knew how to drive a tent peg. And the hammer and the tent peg was right there, and she, she used what she had, and, and, what, she, and, and she, what she had, what she used there. So in verse 21, it says, He died, fulfilling Deborah's words, The Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, Barak thought it was going to be her, but actually it was Jael. Then Barak comes along. In verse 22, Barak comes along, and Jael says, Come and find the man you're pursuing. And it says there in, that, in verse 20, And that day God subdued Jabin. So the glory was lost to Barak and went to a woman. So God moved uh, Jael, on, on the, the wife of Heber, to do this. And they were in a friend with Jabin. I'm not sure what her husband said when he got home, but we don't, we're not told that. So Jael took out the captain. And we see that Deborah and Barak fought the battle and took out the army, but God subdued Jacob, Jabin. God subdued him. He is, and the, so they had to, all, for all of this to happen, they had to rise up and trust God and obey God. God did his part, and they had to do their part. There's a lesson here on taking action, taking action. So in the New Testament, our fight is different. The weapons of our war warfare are not carnal. They're, they're spiritual. We're not fighting with guns. We're, not fighting, with, uh, we're not, not fighting for land. We're fighting against the devil. We're fighting against his, his, uh, the wiles of the devil, the sin and flesh. And, that, and that's where we need to uh, stand up and fight. Just like the, uh, we're not taking the tent peg through, uh, but we are fighting against the devil and his agents. Now, there's a couple things that really stand out with jail. Number one, she was very calm and trusting. Think about this situation. In the face of danger, the general just lost his army and is fleeing for his life. You know, he could have said, well, it didn't go so good out there. I'm going to take. She could have been very much in danger, but she's as calm and collective as she can be in facing this enemy, just as Jael has faced the enemy calmly and collectively, so can we. She was bold, very bold in the presence of evil uh, and courageous. You know, there was no guarantee how this was going to end. She, um, you know, he could have woke up right in the middle of her trying to swing the hammer and it could have ended way different. And, you know, she's not the man of the house. I mean, she's just around doing the chores, and this guy shows up. She's just faithful in her everyday living. And she, um, she didn't have training to do this. I mean, she just, she, she's bold and courageous. You know, how bold am I 
for the Lord. How bold and courageous am I, standing up against the enemy, standing against the world and the flesh and the devil. She wasn't strong in her own might, but she was strong in the Lord. Another thing we see is she used an ordinary thing, an ordinary thing. She, um, this nail, this uh, tent peg uh, and a hammer. You know, she didn't run out and have to try to buy something for the occasion real quick. You know, there's so many examples in the Bible of, of people that used what they had available. You know, in the feeding of the 5,000, there was, what did they have available? They had the five loaves and the two fish, and God multiplied that. You know, uh, Shangar, just the, the judge ahead, he had an ox goad. And I would believe that he probably wasn't his pick of a choice to go uh, of a weapon. But he used what he had probably in his hand. And uh, Samson used the jawbone of a donkey, just grabbing what he saw and using it. And so many times, or too many times, maybe we think that we need to have this or we have to have so much money be raised before we can rise to the occasion. It's, you know, I believe there's a lesson here that God wants us to use what we have what we have and we can do so much if we use what we have so just like jail used an ordinary thing took decisive action to eliminate the enemy we can do the same we can do the same then in deborah's song just want to look at a couple things we're just uh, you know it's one thing to go through a trying time and get through on the other side and think you know oh wow but what should be on our tip of our tongues? Praise. It says on that, on that next day, on that day, that day, this praise came right away, thanking the Lord. It was testimony time. God delivered them. So when we come through a difficult time or a trial, it's good to stop and praise the Lord. How easy it is for us to complain, to cry, or to cry out in the problem, but do we have that same motivation to thank the Lord afterward? She's praising the Lord. Uh, she describes the oppression in verses 6. And, you know, it wasn't safe to be out the highways. They were deserted. They used the back paths so they wouldn't get robbed. They stayed in their houses until Deborah came home. Pa paints a pretty bad picture. Then it calls out the committed. It calls out, in verse 14 and 15, it calls out Ephraim and Benjamin and, and Mar Markor, the tribe of Manasseh. And they, they were volunteers to help fight. They didn't have an organized army ready to go. They called for help, and they came out, and they pitched in and helped. They got into that nucleus of that body, and they, they fought, and, uh, and they were blessed for it. And then it mentions the uncommitted. In verse uh, 16, it mentions Reuben. It says of him uh, that they had great searchings of heart. Now, I don't know what that exactly means, but I can imagine it's a lot of meetings and a lot of talk. Uh, a lot of talk, no action. They did nothing. You know, there's a time to plan and there's a time to act. There's a time to get involved. The battle is two-part, and God did his part. But he counted on the children of Israel. Some of the children of Israel came and, and, and did their part. And then it mentions uh, Gilead, or uh, they didn't cross the Jordan to help. They had an excuse. Dan stayed in their ships. They were busy. 
with their work. Asher just sat there idle, didn't do anything. And then in verse 23, it calls out uh, Miraz, singling him out for a curse, for, not, for just failing to help, not coming to help. You know, unwilling to get involved. You know, there's a lot of, uh, today we have a lot of Christians who don't want to get involved, don't want to fight, unwilling to get involved. You know, the Bible talks clearly about the sins, you know, of, you know, we think of the sins of the flesh, you know, that we, we see that that's sin. Then sins of the spirit, you know, those are envy and jealousy and things like that that are a little harder to see and maybe not quite as, but is, is, isn't this a sin of just not doing anything? Doing nothing. That's what I see. They did nothing, and they're called out and cursed. Then in verse 18, it, 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 ta- it calls out Zebulun and, Na- and Napathath. They, it says they're outstanding. They risked their lives. Those are the ones that got involved, and they did it without pay in verse 19. They took no spoil. So it's just interesting how specific Scripture gets, and it gets, notes those that get involved and those that don't get involved. The Lord knows exactly who's confronting the world and the devil and sin and who is sitting back and watching. You know, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 3 where it says there's a time of reward coming and there's a time of loss when every man's work will be tried by fire and see what it's made of. Then it calls out jail. Just it mentions jail. She's blessed for her courage and bravery there in verse 24. And, and I use, put cunning in there. It sort of suggests give her giving the milk instead of, of water so was sort of cunning on her part. And she was not an Israelite and calls her blessed among women, right like the mother Jesus, like blessed among women. And it's interesting that it, Sisera's mother is mentioned, Deborah. She's looking out, the, like Deborah, Deborah mentioned, Sisera's mother looking out her window for her son to come home. And her finest ladies tell her that, oh, he's just dividing the spoil, and, but he'll never come home. He'll never come home. And behind every murder today is, is a mother that's unnoticed, that's, un, that's uh, a mother, Sisera's mother is mentioned here. So there's a lot of lessons that we can learn. There's a lot of lessons that we can learn. We can be faithful when things are bad, and I was going to talk a lot about that. God's plan is for men to lead. God wants men to step up to the plate. That's the thing we can learn. You know, God doesn't condemn Deborah for what she did, but I think God's plan is for us to step up and lead out. God uses weak things to confound the wise, and there is a gift of prophecy when we forth foretell and there also we we can all prophesy just foretelling what has already been said let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your goodness and love thank you for your many blessings just pray that you will guide and direct us thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the story of deborah help us men to step up and be the leaders that you want us to be and father i just trust that every one of us can prophesy and just talk about what has already been said what you have recorded. Father, help us to talk about you and your word. Help us to have palm trees of Deborah where we can just encourage one another in our walk with the Lord. Father, I just pray for each one here. May we be committed to you, guide and direct us, and uh, just pray that you will be with us as we leave. We pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.